0: to Driving Forces, where we focus on the big issues in city, state, and national politics that matter to you. You were just listening to Let's Talk with John Kane. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. Welcome back to WBAI. As you know, I rely on you. We rely on you to sustain uh, our commercial-free, non-corporate community radio. Uh, we've been around for 60 years. As Reggie recently let me know, we just celebrated our 60-year uh, anniversary. So I would like to thank you, our longtime listeners, for being part of our family. So today, obviously, all eyes were on Washington, D.C., a lot of developments going on. And before we get to the topic of the day and uh, in here in the studio and the discussion we're going to have with the Bronx Borough President Ruben Diaz, just a few developments in D.C. if you have not been following them. The Senate opened the impeachment trial of President Trump earlier today. Senators accepted the promise to deliver impartial justice, and they installed Chief uh, Justice Ru- uh, John. John G. Roberts, Jr. is the presiding officer. Representative Adam Schiff, the lead House impeachment manager, read the articles of impeachment against President Trump aloud in the Senate chamber, and he laid out the case against Trump. And then the Senate issued a formal summons for the president, informing him of the charges and inviting him to respond by this Saturday night. Now the trial is off; it is back on on Tuesday after the Martin Luther King Day holiday weekend. So while this was happening, the president actually had a victory today, following another victory when it comes to trade. Congress. Bipartisan, by an 89 to 10 vote, gave final approval to his revised NAFTA agreement. That's his second trade victory uh, this week. And this also came on the heels of another trade agreement where he signed a trade deal with China. Locally, some local news. For those of you who listen to my other show, City Watch, I focused on education recently uh, with a New York State senator. And we uh, discussed a little about what was going on here in the city. We're going to talk with Ruben Diaz Jr. about that as well. But locally, there was some good news. The New York City high school graduation rate has edged up. Last year, uh, after a series of state policy changes over the last five years to revise requirements for getting a diploma, the grad rate hit 77.3% in 2009. That was a, it was a small increase, 1.4 percentage points from the previous year. But statewide, you got to look at that as well. That rose slightly to 83.4%. So both were up substantially from decades ago. So. The mayoral race is going to be heating up this year, and I've had guests in the studios to take your calls, and we're going to joined, uh, be joined by the Bronx Borough President in just a short while. But sitting with me right now is a new member of my work team at Not at Gerstein, and for many of you New Yorkers who tune to New York One, you will recognize—well, you won't recognize her face because this is radio, but you'll recognize the voice. Erin Grace Clark is joining me here in studio today. She covered the Bronx for New York
1: One. Welcome. Thank you very much, and that's right. I was the Bronx reporter for New York One for five years, from 2012 to 2017. So, for all you viewers out there, hello, I am back.
0: And Aaron provided me with some very good guidance and questions for the Bronx Borough President today. So, we're going to have some very good insight into economic development. We'll talk about uh, the event that
1: is concluding tomorrow in the Bronx, Restaurant Week. That's right. Savor the Bronx is the Bronx's version of Restaurant Week. It's been going on for a couple of years now, and it has just exploded over the last couple of years, it means that more people are coming to the Bronx. So of course, we want to hear what the borough president has to say about his restaurant week and what's his favorite restaurant.
0: So when you covered the Bronx, you said it was what, five years? Five years. What were some of the key issues that you noticed that you followed, you know, religiously during that time?
1: Well, gentrification was definitely Mm -hmm. a big issue in the Bronx, Um, as a lot of um, the elected officials and the movers and shakers in the Bronx used to say, is that um, because they were the last for development to kind of happen in that borough, they got a chance to sit back and look at what was done wrong and what might have been done right in Brooklyn and in Manhattan, specifically in Harlem and Upper Manhattan. And so that was a big issue that I, I don't think that I went at least one week without covering something about development. and. And gentrification.
0: And I had uh, in studio on City Watch a few uh, weeks ago, if I think about it, since we came back on air, I had Matthew Sherman from WNYC Radio, who had written a book on gentrification, and and he tracked. We didn't talk about the Bronx, interestingly. He tracked the progression through Brooklyn, Chicago, uh, San Francisco. Uh, So it's interesting to hear the perspective in the Bronx because we didn't even get to touch on that.
1: That's interesting. I mean, being right here in New York City Mm -hmm. and not touching on one of the boroughs that is really seeing um, a big bit of development happening from the South Bronx all the way up to really the northern tip.
0: So uh, as far as the borough president, because he'll be in here shortly, he uh, they did text me to let me know he was kind of stuck in traffic, which should not surprise anyone here in New York City. New York City. And it was about the Brooklyn Bridge. So sometimes you know what it's like getting over the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, we're here in Burham Hill, folks. Uh, so,
1: so he's not that far
0: away so then. What do you like what do you want to know? You just moved back to New York City. Um Have you been back to the Bronx since you got I gone?
1: haven't, and I feel so bad about that. Um <laughs> Actually, I take it back. I take it back. I did go up to the Bronx one day, but I haven't been there to explore and to really touch base with everyone that um I got connected with when I was there. So can't say i spent much time in the Bronx since I've been back. It's only been about a month, so there's plenty of time left.
0: And we talked about gentrification. Are there specific things that you're you would want to ask him today?
1: Well, you want to know. Uh, one of the things I mentioned to you when we were brainstorming is that uh, there isn't a grocery store in the South Bronx. And a lot of that development that is happening is really on the southern tip of the Bronx, around the 130s um, by the Willis Avenue Bridge and the Third Avenue Bridge. And you're thinking tons of apartments are going up or folks are proposing those things. Well, Where are these folks going to eat? And that's been a problem that has been going on for years. Folks who have lived there for years before this development was happening, they've had to take public transportation. They've had to walk a considerable amount of blocks to get to a grocery store. Is there going to be one there now? And if one does pop up, it makes folks wonder, well, why now?
0: Mm -hmm. And another uh, issue we're definitely going to be talking about is uh, Ruben Diaz Jr.'s future political plans, because he's been rumored uh, to be a potential mayor. I'm saying this, folks, because he hasn't officially declared, and maybe he'll declare on WBAI. Who knows? You'll get the scoop. Uh, I I would love the (laughs) scoop. Uh, I've tried to put others on the spot, too, with this. They have not bitten yet uh, during my tenure here. Uh, But when you covered him, did you always see a lot of what he talked about in the prism of he's positioning himself for a potential citywide run?
1: I think that that was um, something that people around him, people that watched him whispered about, but Rubin himself, um, as most politicians do, um, was very careful on saying when or if he would.
0: Yeah, and I I know a lot of this from when I had worked in city government, well, before I worked in city government, actually, Uh, just following it from the view of a reporter and then going to work for a politician, Bill Thompson, who had just gotten elected and getting more involved. Uh, in government taking a uh, a leave of absence a short one to be able to work on his campaign and it 's all about the timing and that you don 't you know you want uh make an announcement with a splash you want to ha line up your endorsements or or people who are going to be ready to you know be out there i 've seen one person roll out their uh announcement without much fanfare at all in the last year. And I was surprised that they did not orchestrate it very well. It just seemed to happen on like late one night and there was very little traction. Person's name is mentioned continually, uh, but there was not a lot of planning in that rollout. So that also is why I wonder, I question when someone is going to be announcing this, what also factors are going to play into, in this case, Reuben's decision if he's going to run or not run. And there's uh, – well, you've been away. Well, actually, no, you're back. So in the last few days, some other names have been floated. Yeah. John Katsimatidis, I saw that story, might consider running again, the real estate magnate. You guys probably know him uh, as the guy behind Gristides. That's right. Um, there was another gentleman's name who I'm forgetting from, uh, from a financial firm. Of course, I'll find that in a short while. Uh, and so Scott Stringer, the New York City controller, who has been in here taking calls uh, as well. And who else do we have on there? And I think he's uh, he's just arrived in studio here. So Aaron's going to slip Swap out. out and, and, but feel free. You're going to hear her behind the scenes shouting out questions at points. Uh, so Aaron, I want to thank you because I'm also going to have you back regularly. Not a problem uh, at all. I you don't know to. that I've just like cornered you for <laughs> you, this. you like to put people on the
1: spot as I see.
0: <laughs> so thank you so much. So we've got the, uh, the Bronx Borough President Ruben Diaz Jr. here. Welcome to the studio, sir. Thank you. Happy
2: New Year. Good to see you. Happy New Year. And it's great to have you guys back on the air.
0: Uh, you know what? It was one month, and we are incredibly happy to be back. In a, and uh, you got your sound. There's a. Oops, hold on just one second, folks. Play with the sound right there. Can you hear
2: okay.
0: it? You got it? I got it. No, okay, I'm good. good. <laughs> okay, there we go.
2: And it's great to see Aaron. Aaron is back. Aaron is back.
0: Aaron, Aaron is back. So it's wonderful to have you in studio here. Mm-hmm. Uh, for folks who do not know anything about Ruben Diaz Jr., here is just a paragraph mm-hmm. or two about him. <laughs> he is now in the third term as the borough president of the Bronx. Mm-hmm. As borough president, he led the implementation of a robust agenda on economic development, housing, health and wellness, education and public safety in every corner of the borough. Bronx has seen over 18.9 billion in new development of all kinds since he took took office 11 years ago. And this includes more than 45,000 new units of housing, most of it built for lower income families. He is a lifelong, he is a lifelong president, resident of the Bronx. Uh, He lives in the southeast Bronx with his wife Hilda. Uh, and we're going to ask about her because I had read sure. an interview uh, with you and uh, a friend of mine, Sally Goldenberg, who's mm-hmm. all. And you were like, "Why doesn't anyone ask about my wife and kids?" <laughs> right. So we will ask. Uh, uh, they today. always ask
2: about the other family members. <laughs>
0: well, we we are going to do that but I want to make sure that we you know give you an opportunity. Um so get relaxed and get ready for the tough uh, questions, but the first one will be easy. Sure. What have I not talked about in your bio that you want our listeners to know about?
2: No, that uh the Bronx is doing a whole lot better. We're not perfect. Uh we over the last 10 years and and hearing you while I was stuck in traffic and over the bridge, there was a car accident. I hope everybody's doing well there. Uh that over the last 10 years what we've seen is a turnaround in terms of what we do in creating jobs, what's being done in economic development, and how we make sure that whoever is coming to our borough who wants to do business in the Bronx is doing business with the Bronx. Uh, it works. Uh, we've been able to shave unemployment from by more than, than, than half. When I first took office, our unemployment rate was 14.2%. We had about 5.3%, the last statistics that were taken. It's not just people that are just getting off the rolls. The reality is, is that what you see is over 117,000 more people working today than the day that I took office. And the way that we've been doing that is by working with the state, with the Department of Labor, working with the Bronx Over Economic Development Corporation, working with, uh, men and women in business, the big, um, institutions, the big employers like the, healthcare institution, uh, in our borough and identifying people based on their skill sets after having job fairs and, 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 uh, and, uh, and making the marriage between their skill sets and the employers that are looking for those individuals.
0: So I want to go to the news of the week, though, mm-hmm. for you, uh, because this is very important, Dan. Uh, on Sunday, I listened uh, to consebor Latino, and Marisol was very focused on uh, the earthquakes in Puerto Rico. Right. You just went to Puerto Rico with mm-hmm. a contingent, including Governor Cuomo. Talk about that trip, what you saw, what, you, what was being experienced by people, and then a little about – what the governor, what the state has been doing compared with what Donald Trump's administration has been doing? A lot there.
2: A lot. Uh, first, let me, let me start with the latter. Uh, the governor has been nothing short of exceptional when it comes to showing Puerto Ricans and the Puerto Rican diaspora support. What do I mean by that? A number of years ago, there was an economic, uh, economic crisis. He was very vocal. He even opened up an economic development corporation office in Old San Juan. Uh, then the Hurricane Maria hit, and we know what he did there. We were in the Bronx alone, able to raise about 300,000 pounds of goods, medicine, water, and we really didn't have a way of getting it over. But we worked with the governor, and he was able to afford planes and w- work with the Puerto Rican government, work with uh, the airlines like JetBlue, Delta. Uh, you also had UPS. They gutted out their planes and was able to have f- the things that we collected here. So that was only 300,000 pounds in the Bronx alone. In the city and in the, in the state, we're talking about millions, millions of pounds of goods that the Puerto Rican people needed over there. And he was just phenomenal. But not only with that, uh, and, and this trip now with the earthquakes, earthquakes, and I'm saying that. With a, in the plural, plural yeah. people who are listening need to understand that since December twenty eighth, it sounds pretty outrageous. But Puerto Rico in the southwest part of the island, they have experienced experienced over two thousand earthquakes, aftershocks, and trembles, uh, and ter- uh, tremors. Two thousand. That's that seems unfathomable. It's unfathomable. So what this trip does. Uh, on the governor side, it, it shows that his commitment, uh, we visited, for instance, the power plant in Costa Sur. That power plant generates about 30% or more of the island's electricity, and it's totally down. So he, he, he's like he did with Hurricane Maria. We, Kate, we went down with Gil Quinones and the folks from NYPA, the New York Power Authority. They're helping to assess the damage there to see how is it that, that we can help them rebuild that power plant. That's number one. Number two, after hearing from the Puerto Rican, uh, community, and the mayors that we visit in the town, we visited Guanica and my mother's hometown, Ponce. Uh, we saw that there is a need uh, not only for structural help or uh, to get people out there to rebuild people's homes. But even more so, we saw a lot of people who are, don't want to go back into their homes. They're living out in the open because there hasn't been an assessment, a structural damage assessment to their to their residents. And you don't see the structural damage visibly, mm-hmm. but you never know. It's just like a boxer, right? Your boxer is in the ring, and he or she you know, can take one punch, two punches, a jab here, a hook there. But after several rounds... It takes a toll. So even when that boxer does not look hurt, you know, um, after seven, eight, nine rounds. So this is what's happening to the homes and the structures in Puerto Rico. You're talking about 2000 plus earthquakes, tremors, and aftershocks. So they don't want to sleep in their house. You, we have to provide a certain level of shelter. Um, which the Red Cross and, and, um, is doing in, in UNICEF, but they have to provide the shelters outdoors. So anybody who's listening, if you want to be helpful, we have a concert uh, that we're doing in Lehman College tomorrow night, and then we're doing some collection out in Aldous and Southern Boulevard with the Hispanic Clergy Organization. Please, if you want to bring something, be targeted. Bring brand-new blankets. Bring brand-new pillows. Um, like camping equipment, first aid kits, cots if you can, a tent if you can, a sleeping bag if you can, onesies for the kids, and so on and so forth. And just to just to answer fully your question about this guy who's masquerading as president of the you United what's States. You know going to go there. <laughs> yeah, he is just terrible. Um, just yesterday, and I believe that the political pressure and the fact that the governor visited, the spotlight that we've been able to put on this issue, which the media was not really talking about, uh, he finally has now set the guidelines for the release of mitigation dollars, $8 billion to be exact. But this is money that should have been there a year and a half ago. And this is money that was already voted on by both houses. Usually mm-hmm. what happens is the president is trying to get the House of representatives and the Senate to vote on mitigation dollars for disaster relief or disaster mitigation. In this case, both houses already did that. He didn't have to do it and he just didn't want to release it. And it just shows his disdain for, I don't know, for the people of Puerto Rico, it shows his disdain for Latinos. I don't know. I'm not trying to psychoanalyze the guy, but the money's going to be released. But that, is, that
0: is needed in a broader sense to psychoanalyze.
2: The yeah. Guy. That, you know, somebody else can do that. <laughs> um, the HUD, by the way, HUD also has already twenty billion dollars designated and they've only released about a billion and a half. And that's that twenty billion dollars, even if it was given in its entirety to the people of Puerto Rico, two things on that point, and you've kind of getting me started here, I get angry about this. Twenty billion dollars is is less than um, you know twenty percent of what's needed. And two, only one point two billion has been released out of the twenty billion from HUD uh and this is all just money that 3.5 million Americans Americans not a foreign country Americans need for a hurricane that happened 2 years ago let alone what they're going to need now post these 2000 plus hurricane uh, earthquakes so you know it's a shame that um we 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 have to get to this point where the federal government just doesn't realize that they need to be there for their, for their constituents, for their citizens on the island of Puerto Rico.
0: So you're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. I'm joined in studio by Bronx Borough President Ruben Diaz Jr. The phone number to call starting at about 10 minutes is 212-209-2877. Uh, have you asked the borough president any questions you'd like? Please keep your questions a little short or statements a little short. Let us know how you feel he's doing in his third term as borough president and also what you think he should take on if he announces I'm saying if, because there hasn't been an announcement yet, if he announces that he's going to run to, to become the next mayor of New York City. Uh, speaking of that, as you conclude your third term, you've got less than two years left. Right. What would you say it, uh, has been the most challenging issue that you've wanted to address as borough president that you've not been able to?
2: That I have not been able to. Um, well, we still have to make, look, that's, a, that's always a complicated and loaded question. Uh, the fact is that when I first became the borough president, being a lifelong resident of the Bronx, was born in public housing, we've always have, had, had issues in our borough. Uh, and unfortunately, the media still plays on the negative stereotypes, the negative perceptions of the Bronx. So changing those stereotypes, trying to have the media concentrate on a different narrative while still concentrating on job creation. Um, making sure that we don 't do not displace the people of the Bronx, getting better educational uh, uh, services for at every level for our kids, getting all of the services that the city gives other communities um, we 've been working on all of that, but I think the most challenging thing is just to try to have the world outside of our borough. Look at us for where and what we are today versus where we were in the 70s, 80s, and the early 90s. That's always been challenging. And, and you know, we're up against hundreds of millions, if not billions of media dollars, movies, documentaries, and so on and so forth that continue to paint those that picture of the negative stereotypes. But that's just not who we are today. So for me, that's been frustrating, and that's been one of the biggest challenges.
0: And when it comes to affordable housing, that's mm-hmm. something that you have uh, strived to improve. Uh, yeah, it gets hot in this studio, by the way. <laughs> Just, I should have warned you on that. It's I'm all warmed hot, yeah. up now. <laughs> uh, affordable housing challenges. No. You did put out a, a, a report I encourage people to read on your website called A Place to Call Home, in which you noted that uh, the Bronx were... More than 90% of the population is non-white, has the lowest home ownership rate of the five boroughs, along with the highest decrease in home ownership and the highest poverty rate in the city. Talk about that report.
2: So I'm fond of the work that we've done in the last 10 years alone when it, as it relates to affordable housing. That's needed. The affordable housing program is needed. We've done over 45,000 units of housing in the last 10 years and still counting. Uh, at, you know, And we try to, as best we can, have... Income band diversity, because we know that we need deep affordability, Jeff, but we also know that we have a skilled professional workforce in the Bronx that don't want to leave we were at once once upon a time we were trained um, that you get your education, you get your degree you you get your career, and you get out. fewer and fewer people want to do that. they love the Bronx it's safer than it's been since nineteen fifty one um, and things are really turning around, so folks want to. Uh, become uh, and are becoming professionals, but we also have to make sure that they stay here. With that said, what we've also seen is, um, and it's a and it's a balance here. How do you create more units uh, without then doing away with home ownership? If we really, really want to combat gentrification, if we want to combat displacement. We have to get to a place where we make it easier for the people who were raised in a community who who have done everything like my sons have done that their parents told them to do, and the society has told them to do, which is stay out of trouble, get a degree, and get a career. What we need to do is to have a space for them to be able to invest in their properties. And so we put out a report because the Bronx, every, you know, what we've been seeing is less and less uh home ownership opportunities we've seen um financial institutions not willing to in, to to loan the capital that's needed for the development that on 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 home ownership on one side and on the other side of that same coin they are not allowing for people who want to get mortgages to be able to own these these units. Uh they're making it difficult on them as well. There's a continuous conversation. Uh we could do it whether it's single or two or three family homes, but we can also do um affordable um housing with a with a home ownership component. We've done affordable uh, low low affordable home ownership in two developments, one in the Northeast Bronx, um and the other one in the South Bronx. Uh and it works. And so this report highlights the problem, but also gives a couple of uh, recommendations as to how we can uh, move forward.
0: So um, shifting topics, and then we're going to open up the lines for calls. Um, Recently I had on a guest and we talked about the uh, education challenges facing New York City. And at the top of the show I mentioned that the graduation rate has improved somewhat here in the city, still lower than the statewide average but the recent news in the last year about the mayor wanting to develop a new uh, process to, uh, to assist students to uh, get accepted into the specialized schools, the SHSAT exam, a lot of blowback on that. How did you feel about that? Where did you weigh
2: in? So I've been dealing with this issue since 2011, and uh, it's, it's a complicated issue. And what we should not be doing is putting communities against each other. And I strongly believe that the mayor has done that. What we need to do is look at the the tests uh and in many ways, we can make an argument, and we have made the argument, so has other people that the that the test perhaps should be changed uh, but we can also say that you know the decision as to whether or not a child is placed in a specialized high school should not be based solely on one day and one test. That's not the way that it's done in Ivy League college, uh, universities like Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. Uh, and it shouldn't be done here in the city of New York. Uh, what we also can do so that we don't put communities against each other, so that parents aren't concerned that seats are going to be taken away from their kids, we can simply just increase the amount of specialized high schools. And uh, if it was done before, only three out of the eight in the city of New York are codified by law, the H- heck H- colangelo law uh so bronx science brooklyn tech and and um stuyvesant are the only mm-hmm. ones that are uh really codified in statute the other five were simply created by the department of education so part of my report and part of what we've been saying is again uh maybe we should do testing plus we sh- we sh- we should take into other consideration um and, you know whether it's passion talents um and other things that uh interviews perhaps uh, looking at maybe setting aside a percentage of seats for the for those with the highest GPAs coming out of middle schools in every borough. Uh, and you can just create one specialized high school per borough, an additional five, so that no one is fighting over seats. Uh, and I, I think that we can get to that. And I look forward to working with... The administration with DOE uh, should they want to continue to work with that with, with me on it, uh, but moving forward, uh, I, I believe that we should continue to have specialized high schools.
0: And I got one other uh, question on an issue before we uh, start taking calls: the uh, recent move to or push by mainly Republicans to scale back on the recent criminal justice reforms the bail reform. There's uh, these are Democrats that I'm about to note, though, that another bill was just introduced by uh, state senators, Andrew Gennardis and Simcha Eichenstein, to amend the law to allow a judge to set bail for someone who's been accused of committing a hate crime. There's a lot of discussion about how to address this. What do you think should happen?
2: I think that we should still have uh, the 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 uh, cash bail reforms. There's no reason why someone who committed the same crime as someone else has to stay in jail simply because they can't afford the bail. And we see that t- happen for decades, if not even longer, here in the city of New York and throughout the, the United States. And I commend the speaker and the New York State Assembly and the legislature for... Finally, passing a piece of legislation. Now, you know, I served up in the New mm-hmm. York State Assembly for seven terms, um, almost, you know, almost 13 years. And if there's nothing else, I learned one thing that, you know, there's never a perfect bill or a perfect law. And so, depending on how now things are being implemented, if things have to be amended, or if new uh legislation has to be introduced, then you know, that's for the legislation legislature to, to take on. Um I know that there's a lot of concerns as to whether or not you go back to judicial um uh uh i the uh I'm sorry, uh the judicial uh anyway, um Yeah, let's move that's move. Let's move on. Where <laughs> where 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 the judge has it makes the decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so we 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 know that for many years uh, communities of color uh did not benefit when when the the judges had uh, the oh, dis- discretion. Discretion. I'm sorry, I couldn't I was get. That to out. think of that word. I too. get that out. Sorry, <laughs> judicial <laughs> discretion. Uh, but we we um, also have to make sure that moving forward we don't want to let out somebody on bail or people start to take the wrong um or, or, or of the very few who may think of this as, you know, they're not going to get penalized or punished. And if they get out on bail or if they get out without paying bail and then they commit a violent act, a violent crime, then that's something that needs to be addressed.
0: You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM's Driving Forces. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, joined in studio by Bronx Borough President Ruben Diaz, Jr. We're also streaming live at WBAI.org. Phone lines are now open at 212-209-2877. Please give us a call. want to know what your questions are for the Bronx Borough President. Your future plans. Let's go right there. Are you going to announce on WBAI whether you're running for mayor?
2: I am not. Well, not today. Not today. Okay. I, uh, you know, we, like I said, I've been seriously considering it, and uh, we've been having many conversations throughout the city of New York. Continue to have conversations in my family, uh, and you know, stay tuned. We, we'll see what happens.
0: What will factor into your decision to run or not to run?
2: Uh, Obviously, family is the biggest factor in all of this, but also making sure that we have the financial support, making sure that we can get the message out there. And, uh, you know, we've been... Uh, I, I think that we get a lot of support and people are starting to understand and see uh, a great narrative, not only my personal life story, but what we've been doing in one, if not the most challenging part of the Bronx. Uh, and and we'll see what happens. So uh, you mentioned financial
0: support. There were stories in post. I f- forget what other outlet I read just about. And they're reporting on everyone and their fundraising mm-hmm. totals. Period was a little slower this last okay. six months. But was this intentional that you were not actively fundraising, you know,
2: Oh no, we've been trying, but it's not encouraging. And, you know, running for mayor of the city of New York is monumental. And this is what I try to tell folks where, you know, we have to have a sense of urgency. And so if the, you know, these are all things that we continue to weigh as we move forward.
0: And, and you know what I was up against back in '09 when I worked with Bill Thompson. We were up against $100 million right. versus our, what, 12 million, 20 million? <laughs> you know what the right. difference was there. So I, you know, I get the fundraising challenges. Um, your family. Right. So I want to throw the question out there. I'm sure listeners might have this question. You know, you uh, and your dad do not, dis- did not agree on everything. Uh, can you talk a little, though, about how this is going to factor into your decision? Because your father has certain views mm-hmm. that have been polarizing, that people have been upset about, others not upset. But I know in the city council there were some issues recently. How you know talk a little about this dynamic and how it's going to play out.
2: Look, um I don't know of any New Yorker of the 8.65 or 6 million New Yorkers I don't know of anybody who has uh who is in total agreement with their parents, right? Uh whether it's personally, professionally, politically, you know, and or whatever other issues. And uh but nonetheless I love my father. And uh, yes, we do disagree on a few fundamental uh issues. Uh and we disagree on a lot of private and personal issues as well uh but in terms of him running and and being around i think that you know that's part of a larger family conversation so you look he's he's always run for office and he's always been controversial and and i was elected 5 years before he was uh so and and we've been i think we've been able to uh delineate uh the differences between reverend Ruben Diaz and Ruben Diaz Jr uh, but, as we move forward it 's more of an amplified and more of a of a general family conversation more so than just his political trajectory The number to call is two
0: one two two zero nine mine for, you know hmm?
2: uh, like it's more oh, than I'm just it's more so than just his political you know uh decisions.
0: The number to call is 212-209-2877. I did say at the outset that no one ever asks about your wife, Hilda, and your children's career paths and about what they do. So (laughs) tell our listeners a little about what they do.
2: I am still in love with my girlfriend of 30 years, and a lot of people don't know that. Hilda Hilda and I are high school sweethearts. I transferred from Lehman High School in the Bronx, chasing after her to Stevenson High School in my senior year. We are parents of two young men, uh, Ruben just turned 27 years old. He does IT and programming here in the city of New York. Lives in the west side of the Bronx. He's he um, uh, you know, he's doing well for himself, and and uh, we're so proud of him. He graduated from Boston College and Carnu Hayes High School. Ryan is a second lieutenant and military police officer in the U.S. Army. He's currently in Germany, and we miss Ryan dearly. We haven't seen him since March. In fact, Hilda and I visited him during the St. Patrick's uh, weekend in, in March of last year. We've only seen him three days in a 12-month span. So we are now one of those military families who, who are not only missing our loved one, in this case, our baby, he's twenty, going to be 25 years old. But we also concerned based on some of the decisions that uh, the guy masquerading in the White House as the president of the United States is making overseas. And so we're concerned as, how, as to whether or not we move forward with any military activity versus Iran or any other country.
0: Yeah, I was wondering if that was going to come up. We've got a caller on the line. Uh, welcome to WBAI. What is your name and what's your question for the Bronx borough president?
1: Um, My name is Diane Brown, and I'm calling because he mentioned some areas of New York that get more funding than the Bronx. And I'd like to know what those areas are and what type of funding um, do they get that we don't get in the Bronx? And what can we do to increase that funding?
2: uh, You could could say funding and or services, which also includes funding, right? So, yeah, if you look at, at obviously, um, parts of, of Manhattan... If you, you know, there's no question that, you know, many of us in not only the Bronx, but in other boroughs and the other boroughs feel like whether it's everything from snow removal to to the you know garbage collection, uh, that there's an inequity there. Uh, when you look at uh, many of our school buildings, uh, when you look at what's happening in um, public housing. Uh, these are all things that uh, we feel that for many, many years we were neglected. Uh, we in the Bronx say that we're the forgotten borough, but you know what? Staten Island says the same thing and in, and they can make you know many many cases in many different areas but healthcare i mean the list goes on and on and what we've been able to do is really fight for that equity over the last 10 years it's the reason when you look at our green spaces and public parks they were in dire need of repairs since i've been the borough president we've seen north of over 400 million public dollars invested in green spaces and public parks uh and we still have ways to go uh look, look at the bronx river uh, the our Bronx River was left for dead, and we've been working diligently to remove abandoned vehicles that were in the Bronx River. That were being that was a, a, a huge neglect by the city and the state. But when I was an assembly member, we got the then Governor Pataki to be able to invest in there. We were able to get uh, work with uh, Bloomberg in the City of New York uh, to repair our green spaces, public parks, our beaches, our waterfronts. Uh, now the the Bronx River has fish. Uh, we've been able to get a boulevard funded by, uh, the state thanks to Andrew Cuomo and Speaker Hot Car Hasty. Uh, and, and so now we have a boulevard there so the community has access to the waterfront, to the river. Uh, so these are all the things that not only me and the Bronx feel, but many uh, people in Brooklyn and parts of Brooklyn, many people in parts of Queens, uh, and even in, in the northern part of Manhattan. Uh, we when we scream about and when we shout and when we protest and when we rally and we say we want equity, we want government to be responsive to all communities, um, and so that's what I was referring to.
0: So thank okay. you so thank you so much, Diane, for calling WBAI. First of all, you mentioned uh, Bloomberg, so you know I was going to get mm-hmm. to this. Do you think Mayor Bloomberg's entrance into the presidential race is a good thing?
2: Well, look, he, he certainly brings a, a lot of money to the table. Uh, he's, you know, I haven't heard from him much other than than the commercials. So uh, he, because of his own money, he's not able to qualify in the debate stage. I currently am not, I haven't publicly supported any presidential candidate. Uh, I was, and I have to say this, Jeff, that yes, I took shots at Trump over Puerto Rico, but there was a a. Democratic presidential debate the other night mm-hmm. and so I watched while I was in Puerto Rico, and I was upset and frustrated that no one on that stage even, not, um, unless I missed something I, mentioned I missed it too uh, you know unless i unless somebody can correct me uh, no one spoke about the th- again three and a half million Americans that are suffering over there and what they would do uh, in fact. What was even more insulting is that the majority of the conversation and debate uh, was surrounded around petty squabbling and personalities Uh among two of the Democratic candidates versus any issue, let alone Puerto Rico, that was mentioned or brought up during the debate. I'm with you on this. That's
0: what I was going to say. I missed hearing any reference to that, and I was not impressed with this debate compared with the other ones that I had seen uh, I want to bring up another topic as we're waiting for people to call it 212 Uh, the largest allocation of money for capital projects had been allotted to Orchard Beach renovations. Uh, more than six million. Uh, that, that fight's been going on for a long time. What do you envision happening?
2: So, um, then I, now that I'm in Brooklyn and t- speaking about resources. <laughs> by the way, Brooklyn, I love you. Uh, well, the, well, if you run for mayor, you're going to have to say that for each yeah. borough. <laughs> so let me, if I can, just give you a backstory here. I re, for uh, obviously I've been to Coney Island dozens of times in my life, but it wasn't until about maybe five years ago, six years ago, that I went to Coney Island as a beachgoer for the first time in my life. And boy, was I jealous with the with the renovations that have been done in the boardwalk. And if you're from the Bronx, Orchard Beach is really a part of your DNA. If you're from the Bronx you went to Orchard Beach with your family, and you have so many childhood memories like I do, my siblings and I, my children. If you, you know, in Orchard Beach is in the parking lots where you learn how to drive a car, and so on and so forth. But if you look at the pavilion that's been up since 1933, 32, 33, the, the pavilion is, has been shut down uh, because of, of corrosion with the salt air, mm-hmm. uh, the engineering, the way that it was done. So I came back and I said, you know what? We really have to change this. If this is what's happening in Brooklyn and in other beaches, what we need to do is uh, do right by Orchard Beach in the Bronx. So I allocated, I started allocating, um, I started by allocating the first $10 million. A few uh, several years ago, and then I started using my relationships and advocating and getting the delegations at the city council level at the state assembly level and and of course at, in the Senate and we were able to get the state, the city, and everybody so so far we have up to ninety million dollars and What I envision is for the pavilion to be restored uh, to have it so that you can have ramps that come through the front. Of the beach so that people don't have to walk around with your coolers and and your your bags and stuff. People will all go up the stairs. I don't know if anybody who's listening can envis- can visualize. Have been to Orchard Beach as of late, but it's it's a it's a nightmare to to be able to access the beach unless you walk all the way around. And so we want ramps. We want, we are looking at, ve- we want vendors inside of the pavilion. We want a year-round restaurant on the south lawn. I would love to have it so that it's a venue every, every Sunday of the summer. I do salsa concerts at Orcha Beach. I would love for this to be like a garden with a stage so that we can have either, um, you know, a venue for salsa or even private venues for a wedding, a quinceanera and so on and so forth. Uh, and 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 it's we we're at the planning stages now uh, at least with the pavilion uh we have we're funded for the first stage or the first phase The first two phases, but it's going to take a lot more money. So I'm, I still, I'm still advocating. I still intend to give as much as I can, or allocate as much as I can in capital funding. There, Uh, ultimately, what we want is not only for Bronx families to continue to have a beautiful beach and a beautiful pavilion to continue to to create memories the way that my family and so many others have, but we also want. For people outside of the Bronx to look at Orchard Beach in the way that they look at Coney Island or the Far Rockaway and come visit us and enjoy themselves.
0: You're listening to WBAI's Driving Forces. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons. In studio joining me is Bronx Borough President Ruben Diaz Jr. And the number to call is 212-209-2877. I'm going to lighten it up for a moment. Okay. Tomorrow, thanks to Aaron Grace, I know this, is the last day of the ninth annual Savor the Bronx Restaurant Week, 45 uh, establishments. Mm-hmm. It's grown tremendously
2: from the first year. Mm-hmm. What does that say about the Bronx? That we are back, that we are booming, that the Bronx is hot. You know, this came about when I first got to Borough Hall, we we felt slighted that when you had New York City Restaurant Week, we, we were not included, I think, Roberto's. In in uh, Arthur Avenue was the only Bronx restaurant that was included, uh in, in the New York City restaurant. So you, so I worked with the Bronx Overall Economic Development Corporation, which is the economic partner to borough to, the, to Borough Hall, uh, also the Bronx Tourism Council. And we said, you know what? Let's create our own restaurant week. And I remember starting with a handful of restaurants. We have forty-five now. We encourage everyone. It is it, tomorrow's the last day. Uh, you can simply go to ILoveTheBronx.com. You'll see a listing of of the the participating restaurants. If you are an Epicurean, if you have a a um, uh, a an appetite. Of diverse, if you if your appetite is diverse, if you like seafood, Italian food, Latino food, uh, Caribbean uh, food, whatever it is, we have it in the Bronx. It is second to none. Come and support a small business is the reason why we do it after the holiday season because they see a low. so it's affordable, it's fun, you can have family time, and it's easy on the wallet, especially since you spend so much during the holiday season.
0: And what's your favorite date night spot with your wife, Hilda?
2: Oh, <laughs>
0: I'm putting you on the spot.
2: <laughs> Look, we, Hilda is a foodie. Uh, she just called me right now. She just had a, a lunch date with a, with a former uh, colleague. And then she was at, in one of the restaurants at Arthur Avenue. Um, we like the breweries. Um, we, uh, I, I'm allergic to shellfish, even though she loves shellfish. So, but we like to go to, uh, 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 city island. We love Italian foods. I mean, so, I mean, the list goes on. I can't, we, 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 we are diverse in, in, in where we pick. Okay, I'm onto the tough questions. And folks, <laughs> that was a tough question. That was probably the toughest <laughs> question of the day. Well, here comes another one because your
0: answer could be controversial on this next one. This was the front page of one of the newspapers today, if I'm correct. Oh, Lord. I, if you run and become mayor, you won't be able to pick up any piece of food without causing a controversy. Use a fork with a piece of pizza. Never a fork with a pizza. So, Never so,
2: a fork and knife with a pizza. This is New
0: York. So do you toast your bagels?
2: I don't eat bagels.
0: Oh, that's an easy out. Okay. Well, you prefer uh, or? <laughs> I, I,
2: I just, you know, we, we watch what we eat. Um, but I'll tell you one thing. I think that making or having a front page story, No seriousness, about the mayor, whoever the mayor is, toasting a bagel is, it, it, it really speaks sadly to the state of where we are when there's so much happening. You think that the person who is without hot heat or hot water and NYCHA cares about whether or not the mayor of the city of New York toasts his or her bagel? Do you think that the homeless person or the family member who has someone addicted to opioids, or the you know the millions of New Yorkers who find themselves traversing in a subway system that still needs repair and 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 attention, cares about whether or not the mayor toast- their bagel.
0: So then I'm going to get a little serious because of something you mentioned, and I will be passing a note to you afterwards for someone who uh, had uh, notified us through Twitter that they have a he- they've been without heat for a while in mm-hmm. a NYCHA facility. Do you think that NYCHA is doing a good job in the city, or a better job than it used to?
2: No, uh, I think that under this administration, it, we have seen the the most egregious example of governmental ineptitude. Uh, as it relates to the handling of NYCHA. And it's not to say that for decades, uh, just to be a little fair here, for decades, every level of government, both Republicans and Democrats have neglected NYCHA. Uh, but even when you have the resources in the Bronx, for instance, in the South Bronx, we have Patterson Houses. Patterson Houses has, you know, experienced uh, no heat and no hot water. And they have temporary boilers where the oil coagulates because the it's above ground and it freezes. And the problem, even with all of that, is this, is that they've had fully funded boilers for over seven years. And so even when, while we can say, oh, NYCHA needs more money, and it does, at every level, city, state, at the federal level, yes, it does. NYCHA has been neglected, and yes, it has. But the reason why I get i get angry is that even when the city has the funding they haven't been able to do what it takes so that we can treat new yorkers who live in public housing with the respect with the dignity that they deserve
0: so we've got just about five seven minutes left i've got a few other questions for you i'm going to lighten it up a little again should we be naming a street after derek jeter
2: uh yes, but the problem that I have is always naming streets after people who are still with us. So I love Derek Jeter. I'm a lifelong Yankee fan. Uh, someone who who I always say this: if you had asked fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade Ruben Diaz Jr. to write an essay uh, about you know uh, the 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 perfect future. Um, I would have said that I would have wanted to play shortstop for the New York Yankees and be captain of the team and win five rings and make millions of dollars. <laughs> so it's it's a it's a, sto- it's a storybook um, you know life that he's had, no scandal. And so yeah, we we love Derek Jeter and he deserves a street. One of the things I think is that we, unless somebody we know in the past we've seen people who are, we're not going to be with us for too long, so you want them to, to you want to give them their roses before they're gone. But uh, you know, we 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 walk down the slippery slope when we uh, when we name streets after people who are still healthy and are still around. And you haven't announced. So I don't that. oppose it, but. That, that's my. We'll see where that goes. Yeah. This is just,
0: uh, something that was being floated recently where there was going to be a petition. Yeah, sent to the, the City uh, council.
2: council members, uh, uh, Yala and Gibson. Shout out to them. So,
0: within the next few weeks, you're going to have the state of the borough. Mm-hmm. Um, you haven't announced it yet, but what do you are you envisioning a theme? Is there a specific uh, approach you'd like to take to this?
2: Because you've got this one and one more after this. Uh, yeah, this is my penultimate uh, State of the Borough. I think we what we want to do is maybe something a little different than in years past, uh, and but we also obviously want to highlight all of the progress that we have made over the last ten years. Uh, I still want to, uh, you know, speak of uh, certain things like. Uh, How do we move forward when it comes to transportation uh, and transportation alternatives? What does that mean for the Bronx, the four Metro North stations that are coming to our borough? Ferry service, how we need to expand on that? I still want to continue to highlight the work that we need to do uh, in our waterfronts. Uh, I want to talk about uh, uh, materializing uh, the hip-hop museum, uh, what we've been doing around job creation. I want to highlight how we still need to come a long way as it it relates to um, health outcomes in our borough. We've been progressing as a borough, but we're still number 62 of the 62 counties in the state of New York, which means that we are in last place. Uh, We want to obviously uh, give a lot of attention to the census in order for us to get the the resources that we need. Uh, we need to make sure that we're counted as a borough and we have the Bronx, the complete Bronx count committee that we've been working on. So, uh, yeah, these are all the things moving forward that I really want to address. Uh, and, and of course, um, having a, a vision for some of the areas in the Bronx that I think um, we can – uh, create job opportunities and housing, whether it's the um, over the the Harlem uh, yards and uh, the waterfront over there, or how do we continue to connect the west side of the Bronx f- all the way from uh, uh, Van Cortlandt Park and the Major Deegan uh, in the way that the west side of, of of Manhattan is connected, so that people can ride their bikes and, or walk or jog. Uh, I would love to see that someday. And so, yeah. Those are the things that I want to touch on. So
0: I've got like sixty seconds to wrap with you, and then I have to wrap the show. What do you want your legacy to be?
2: Well, I still think I know I'm less like than to sixty offer. seconds. Uh, I, I look in, in this job, in my job, I want my legacy. I would love for people to say, "Look, this is a Bronx boy who grew up in the Bronx during his darkest days, was was blessed and honored with the opportunity to have the greatest job, which is president of the Boogie Down Bronx, and that he really." Uh, work to change things around both infrastructurally and um, in terms of perception as to how people view the Bronx, how we view ourselves in the Bronx, and how we did it in a way where we did not force or people out or displace them.
0: And if people want to learn more about you,
2: where should they go? Uh, they can go on my Instagram. It's Ruben, D- uh, Ruben underscore Diaz underscore junior. And so- you
0: do it yourself. You Not, don't have your staff do it?
2: or No, no, I have, I do, it's, it's a, It's a it's, mix. I used to do it for Bill. I, no, I, <laughs> so the staff does the majority of it. Uh, I give a lot of ideas, um, but when you see a lot of the personal things in my life, that's usually me. Uh, so, so I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, I'm in, I'm on Facebook uh, or they can, you know, if they want to see them, the governmental side, uh, they can just uh, go on our website and it's a pretty, uh, uh, interactive and and, um, detailed website about all of the reports, all of the um, things that we've been doing in our borough.
0: Ruben Diaz, Jr., I want to thank you so much for joining me here at at WBAI
2: today. This is cool, and uh, Aaron, it's always a pleasure to see you as well. I appreciate the opportunity, and and I wish uh, WBAI much success.
1: Thank you. <laughs> and it
0: was wonderful to also have my new work colleague, Erin Grace Clark, uh, in here today. And, of course, she's going to be invited back a number of times. I want to thank you for listening to today's edition of Driving Forces with our guest, Ruben Diaz, Jr. Again, thank you to our long-time dedicated listeners for supporting our commercial-free, non-corporate community radio. I'll be back next Thursday with the first of several shows so we can squeeze them all in with the Queensboro president candidates. I think there's eight or nine that have qualified so far. Uh, I think one got kicked off right away. So we've invited them uh to give us a call starting next week, next Thursday. Driving Forces is back at 5 o'clock. Please stay with us for the evening news with Paul DiRienzo.